All right, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and uh, a silent prayer, and you think about what you want to tell the Lord, and just remember that you may ask amiss, but you are going to get a perfect prayer because Christ and the Holy Spirit will make sure of that. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, Ken, come and lead us in a song, please.
Thank you, Kenna. All right, now we're going to move to announcements on Wednesday. We are going to have at 6.30 our prayer meeting. And then at 7 o'clock we're going to have our Bible study. So uh, feel free to join us if you so choose. And then remember to my left we have our prayer list here. Be sure you get one and take it and use it. Add to it as the case may be. And uh, delete as the case may be. Remember in particular uh, Bruce and Kelly and uh, who are on, in New York, uh, Bruce on business, and I think uh, I'm not sure what Kelly's doing, but uh, I'm sure she's having a big time. Uh, she is a shopper. All right. Uh, but so much for um, prayer, so much for our announcements. Now let's go to another aspect of worship called giving. It is an act of worship. I have put the chart on the board again. Uh, and uh, it gives us an indication of a couple of scriptures that summarize New Testament giving. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9, uh, that's uh, scriptures that tell us all about New Testament giving. Because as you know, and as we say from time to time, we don't tithe, we don't bribe God, we don't subscribe to a budget, we try to follow what the scripture says. And I've selected two verses that I think summarize uh, New Testament giving uh, as a part of worship. First of all, 2 Corinthians eight twelve. For if there first be a willing mind, uh, it is accepted according to what a man has, not according to what a man doesn't have. Uh, so that indicates uh, if you're if you're going to give, you need to have a a willing mind, and uh, that's also uh, emphasized in Second Corinthians nine seven. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, but not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. And if you take those two verses and plus what else is said there, it gives us an indication that you can give in the privacy of your mind. You don't have to have something to give in order to give. Uh, so if you want to give, when we have a moment of silent prayer, which we will shortly, uh, you can uh, indicate the want to, which is in the in your mind, and God says thank you. It's a grace matter. Uh, and then if you have something to give, you ought not give it if you can't do it uh, of, uh, with a cheerful attitude. And certainly Second Corinthians 9, 7 says. So with that said, let's go to the Lord in silent prayer. You think about giving and uh, you of course can give in the privacy of your mind if you so choose. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come and to give. Now guide us and direct us as we do want to worship today in a manner pleasing in your sight. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ken, come lead us in another song. Hymn number 93, let's stand and sing the first, second, and fourth verses.
you can see, uh, we have uh, Kenneth back with us, uh, and we're glad uh, glad for that. And we do want to pray for Ken's wife, uh, Carol, who is uh, still suffering from those migraines, and she'll be going to the doctor Tuesday to see a neurologist uh, to see if they can't help her some. So remember Carol, and of course remember myself too, I'm still suffering from the shingles. But uh, uh, it's important for us to pray for one another. Okay, with that said, uh, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. And then we'll begin our lesson, the doctrine of faith rest. All right, let us pray. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study your word. Guide us and direct us now as we do want to study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, doctrine of faith rest. Uh, I'm always, when I see faith rest, I remember James Franklin Cooper, Colonel James Franklin Cooper, who uh, told me one time that he had never heard anything like faith rest, and it was just a marvelous thing. Uh, and I told him, well, that's just the beginning, Jim. And uh, again, uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, and... Uh, one of our more decorated army heroes, and tomorrow is Flag Day, and it is the day that commemorates the founding of the United States Army. So we kind of have a special interest uh, in the Flag Day. But this morning we're going to do faith rest. And, of course, the Lord actually, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses, verses 2 through 3, uh, is uh, interesting from the standpoint it goes back into the Old Testament quoting in the Old Testament and uh, says Israel failed time and time again to rest. In other words, when they got to the uh, Red Sea, uh, they panicked and uh, didn't sit down and uh, watch the Lord work. So that was a place of a lot of water. And then when they got to Mirabah, they had a place of no water. And they panicked. And uh, they began to speak against Moses uh, again. So we have the, a place where there was plenty of water and a place where there was no water. And both times they failed the faith rest test. And uh, we'll have a quick look at that at the end of our lesson. But that's Hebrews chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. All right, now let's begin our lesson plan as such. Uh, the fear panic ploy. It is possible to spend much time in the Word of God and fall apart in an emergency or time of great pressure and personal testing. We can even have anxiety attacks uh, because we don't trust the Lord. I can remember having one myself one time. Actually, I've had more than one. Uh, but uh, you have to uh, 
start claiming promises. And that's why it's important to claim promises. And I'm always, I'll remember a particular situation in the University of Texas baseball dugout where Roger Clements had a sack over his head because he was having an anxiety attack. And, uh, of course, he removed it and went out and pitched the next inning. And as you know, he had quite a career uh, as a baseball player. But uh, he tended to get a little excited and start losing his ability to breathe. And that's why it's so important to know about faith rest. Faith rest is where you can start claiming promises. I'm always, well, I'm reminded of that rope that hangs down. You've seen it on calendars, I'm sure. Has a knot at the bottom, and it shows a little cat holding on to that that rope. And that's what we do sometimes. But we have to hold on to work the word of God, and that's what the doctrine of faith rest is all about: resting in what God has done and will do for us. But it's possible to take in the word of God and then, under personal testing, uh, failing quote the test just as Israel did at the two water situations. So we need to recognize this as fact. Sudden disaster can bring a believer to a point where he cannot concentrate on doctrine nor perceive that God is in charge. It is therefore important for us to know that the difference between fear and courage is our ability to concentrate objectively while under pressure. I recall the story uh, that took place in Great Britain during the time when they were uh, being bombed by the Germans and B-2 rockets were sailing into the city and killing many people and destroying much property. And there was a story of a particular bar, pub as they would call it over there, uh, where uh, they had on the wall uh, that... uh, Fear knocked, but courage answered. And I thought that was so very appropriate. Fear knocked, but courage answered. And that is a slogan that we could say is a part and parcel of the doctrine of faith rest. So it is therefore important for us to know the difference between fear and courage. This means we must be able to recall previously learned doctrine. In other words, when we say what the Bible has to say, that's doctrine. It's important for us to know. And uh, the coward cannot think under pressure, while the man of courage can summon his senses and think of the solution rather than the problem. So concentration is required to learn and apply doctrine under pressure. Fear destroys the ability to concentrate. Adversely, Suffering and disaster all destroy concentration, both in learning and in applying doctrine or what the Bible has to say. So the suddenness or intensity of disaster causes panic and hinders the ability to concentrate. Now the normal reaction to disaster is fear, and with fear comes panic. However... It is abnormal for the mature believer when fear is permitted to continue. Since fear is so prevalent, detrimental, and a mental attitude to sin, the Bible has many imperatives relating thereto. And I'm going to read you, first of all, Deuteronomy 31, beginning of verse 6, and then we'll read verse 7 and 8. Moses speaking, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid are terrified because of them. And who is the them? That would be the people they're about to go to war with. Because God told them, God wants you to go into the promised land and I want you to defeat the enemy. And the enemy is the Canaanites. And they are numerous. And I've showed you who was in the, in the land at that time by name of tribe. But they were to go in there and attack them and destroy them. Then Moses summoned Joshua. I like to call him General Joshua. And said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their forefathers to give them. And you must divide it among them, 
as their inheritance. The Lord Himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And of course, you know, Joshua did lead them in the land. Moses wasn't permitted to go to the land because of certain errors he had made. Uh, but uh, Joshua took them into the land and distributed it to the twelve sons of Jacob, uh, leaving out, of course, uh, the Levites. He didn't get the land, but we gave one of the tribes two shares to make up for that. But the Levites got the tithe instead. Uh, I said the tithe. Actually, there were several tithes, remember? Uh, and they were provided their sustenance, uh, their living, if you will, uh, from the others. Then Isaiah, chapter 41, beginning in verse 10, reading through verse 13. Remember, Isaiah was a prophet. He wrote in approximately 600 or so B.C. And uh, he said, So do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And then a very, well, it's a famous verse for many people, and particularly my granddaughter. And she has it written on her her high school ring underneath where she can turn it over and look at it. But it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And that's 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. Alright, the loss of prosperity, loss of loved one, loss of health, loss of work, experiencing critical illness, etc. can all produce fear. Fear makes difficult the recall of biblical promises. The loss of things we deem valuable produces instant panic and the mind must be stabilized before doctrine can be applied. Scriptures like, and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to to them who are the call according to His purpose. Therefore in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. In other words, various promises that we can grab hold of, like that kitten on that knot, and repeating it uh, as to how we apply it, of course, will be up to us. It can either cause us to relax and continue to take in the Word of God or to panic. So the loss of things we deem valuable produces instant panic and the mind must be stabilized before doctrine can be applied. Alright, the solution to the fear problem is found in the use of the faith rest technique. That's what this lesson is all about. That is to say, by recycling biblical promises to abrogate fear. David uses the faith rest technique when he says he will slam his troubles on the Lord and we'll see when he is afraid. Now David was a warrior. David was a great warrior. But he experienced fear. And when he did experience fear, he slammed them on the Lord. So let's look at Psalm 56.3 and see what David said. When I am afraid, I will trust. And the word there for trust is batak. Uh, and it means to slam trouble down. Or it also has the meaning of going into a cave where you're safe. Alright, now let's look at point six. The fear of death is evil and the fear of death comes from the devil. 
That's important for us to understand. Our entire world really is made up of policies, many of which are based upon national fear of death. Uh, and of course, uh, who gives the fear of death to people? Satan, the devil himself. Notice Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And it goes on to say, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, for I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Meaning, I shall continue to take in the word of God. Because David couldn't go in the house of the Lord. He wasn't a Levite priest. So what's he talking about? He's talking about all of the training aids that you find taught in the tabernacle and then the temple. Alright, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So fear and evil cover the land certainly today. All you got to do is turn on your television. All you got to do is turn on your radio. All you got to do is read the newspaper if you have the, the guts to do that. But... Uh, the form of fears about a lack of energy, war, depression, revolution, destruction of the environment, etc. God has delivered us from fear and all forces which motivate fear. Through how? The faith rest drill. The faith rest drill can permit you to have a relaxed mental attitude toward all things. But you have to take it in. Take in the word of God. Take in the Word of God. Let's look at old Job. I feel like Job sometimes, and uh, Ken feels like uh, Elihu uh, also, but uh, <laughs> when he says, just go ahead and tell God what you did so you'll get rid of those shingles. And that's what all the friends of Job did, you know. But Job uh, uh, says, from six calamities will he rescue you. In seven, no harm will fall before you. In famine, you will ransom, in famine, excuse me, he will ransom you from death and in battle from the stroke of the sword. You will be, you will be protected from the lash of the tongue and need not fear when destruction comes. You will laugh at destruction and famine and need not fear the beast of the earth. You will have a covenant with the stones of the field and the wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your tent is secure. You will take stock of your, stock of your property and find nothing missing. You will know that your children will be many and your descendants like the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor like sheaves gathered in season. We have examined this and it is true. So hear it and apply it to yourself. Uh, that, of course, is uh, the calamities that Job says God will spare him uh, from these calamities. Now, Job is an interesting book, and we've kind of touched on it in the past, but basically, uh, Job had one problem. Job was a good man. Uh, he was one who uh, followed the principles found in the Bible. But he had one problem. According to the, according to the Lord. See, the Lord tells him over there in the 30th chapter or so, much later in the book than we've ever been. But, uh, he tells him that he shouldn't even question God. In other words, don't question me. And we all from time to time have problems and we question God, but you're not supposed to. And to make the point with Job, God said, were you there? And you could put a colon and you'd have to read on and on and on and on and on where God says, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Were you there that day when I did that? Like when I told, taught them 
stars how to sing? Were you there when I made the sand know what it's supposed to do when the ocean goes in and the ocean goes out? Were you there when I taught the natives how to find their 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 uh, food? Were you there when I taught the eagle how to find his food? Were you there when I taught the squirrel how to find his food? It just goes on and on and on telling Job, if you were there, then you can question me. But if you weren't there, shut your mouth. He didn't say it like that, but basically, be quiet. Don't question me. Just use the faith rest drill. All is going well, it's just that you don't believe it. And that's what he told Israel over there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And they failed time and time again. Alright, now let's look. How we should take in the Word of God so that we can know about our security. How secure we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start with Romans 8.28. And we're going to read all the way through verse 39. So it's going to take a while. So hear up. And we know that all things work together for good. All things? All things to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, which he knew us in eternity past, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. How? Through the intake of the word. That he might be the firstborn, firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth, and we are God's elect. He saw us on the timeline, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then he put all of these things in play. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather he is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall peril, or shall the sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are all killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we should give thanks then in all things, the bad as well as the good. First Thessalonians 5.18 But give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Or as the KJV says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I put the NIV in your lesson plan. Now, each believer should get under the authority of his or her pastor teacher, metabolize doctrine, and cast all cares on God. Notice the context of First Peter. Uh, excuse me, First uh, Peter six and seven. Let's read First Peter five. 2 through 5. This, by the way, is one of my favorite ones, particularly verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. Now let's get the context. I'm going to start with verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. See, this would be talking to me. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. 
not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that would be the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes out, comes back first at the rapture, and then the second advent seven years later. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. In other words, talking about those who are under the pastor teacher. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And in my verse that I like so well, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. So when in trouble, and we will be in trouble from time to time, don't assume you know it all, because you certainly don't, says the Lord. Notice Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 52 and 53. And Jeremiah, of course, wrote during the time period of, oh, roughly 686, 586 B.C., when the Babylonians were coming. He was a prophet. Nobody listened to him. Oh, no. It's not going to happen like that. Oh, no, it's not going to happen. We'll be able to defeat those Babylonians when they come through that gate. And yet, Jeremiah kept saying, no, 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 you won't. Open the gates when they come. Let them in. Because God has told me that's what you need to do. So here was the great prophet. What did they do to him? They put him in prison. They put him in jail. They put him down in a deep hole where there was water. He had to be rescued. They rejected their authority. Let's read those two verses. This is what the Lord says, says Jeremiah. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is His name. Call to me. I quoted this earlier, by the way. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The KJV says, Call unto me. And I will answer you and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Alright, prayer, when properly applied, will facilitate covering, recovery, excuse me, from anxiety. Notice Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Timothy 2, 1, 2, and 3. I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So no matter, no matter what the fight or the odds, the battle is the Lord's. Just think about David could handle a giant. I always remember our trip to... I will always remember our trip to Italy. And uh, we went into... So we went over to Florence and we went in to see the, the giant statue of, of David. And uh, if you study the Word of God, or if you have studied under me, you know that when David struck Goliath, David wasn't a little boy. No, David was a mighty man. If you go look at that statue of David and you see how tall he is and how strong he is and how in his hand he has a slingshot, you better understand something's wrong here. And that's because it's been mistaught. It's been mistaught primarily because when he got Saul's helmet and put it on, it swallowed his head. Well, you have to study the Scripture. There wasn't a man in all of Israel as tall as Saul. So David was a normal guy, maybe six one, six two. David had already been called to military service and had already demonstrated he was a great warrior because when they huddled all around Saul and said, 
We know a man who can help you. He has been courageous in battle. Not only that, he has killed lions. He has killed with his bare hands. Uh, he has uh, killed wolves and all manner of uh, things that tried to attack his sheep. Uh, and in addition to that, he plays a mighty fine instrument. He's like Willie Nelson. And uh, he can really play that guitar. And he sings and he writes music. And so we want to bring that guy here. Well, they did bring him and he was able to help Saul in his problems. He had mind problems. And uh, then, uh, of course, he was sent back to the sheep. And then his father, of course, sent him down to take some supplies, some goodies. It's actually a bribe to uh, his commanding officer, his son's commanding officers who were there in the field fighting. Well, actually, they hadn't started fighting yet. But old Goliath came out, screamed and hollered, you know. And David went out and Goliath said, You sent a dog out here to fight me? And of course, about that time, wham! You know, he got it right between the eyes and he fell. And the first thing David did was get his sword out and cut his head off and bring it back and hang it up in his tent. So David was a great warrior. But he was also a man, as we have seen, who from time to time was afraid. But when he was afraid, he slammed Batak, remember, his troubles on the Lord. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 47 says, On all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Now, Goliath, God will give you into our hands. So they were all afraid of Goliath. He was nine foot tall, big giant. But David wasn't because David was trusting the Lord. And that's why we find in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47. So we should be encouraged by that, shouldn't we? So God's timing is perfect. David's timing was perfect. And this includes both our life and our death. Perfect timing. Notice 2 Timothy 4, 6, 7, and 8. Paul speaking. He had done his job. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And we've talked about the doctrine of crowns. We know what goes along with the crowns and I'll not get into that to you right now but you can go to the internet and look under crown and find out all the Bible has to say about a crown but there are many many wonderful things that went with the crown so as we earlier noted in 2 Timothy 1 7 for God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind we know that uh, we can handle all things. In other words, how you handle a normal day is how you're going to handle an abnormal day. Uh, in other words, uh, you're either going to handle it by the power of God or you're going to try it yourself. Are we going to think human viewpoint or are we going to think divine viewpoint? Well, how do you get divine viewpoint? By consistently coming and listening to Bible doctrine. And there's no excuse in this church. We have already, I forget what I told Tommy, already how many we have on... Uh, the podcast, it seems like a 38, 78, something like that. And we have 700 study books under Pastor Merritt, uh, the website. Of course, uh, westbankbiblechurch.com. All right, uh, so you can, or you can come to church, uh, or you can do it all. But the point is, you need to get it some way. And there's so many ways that you can get it. So again, 14,000 people hit our website. And I can't remember the number that hit it. Hit the, uh, David told me this morning and I've forgotten our podcast. So we have a podcast. You can do it on your phone if you have a smartphone. Uh, and, uh, you just simply go there and go to your app that says podcast and then it lists all of these podcasts. And we're going to put, uh, and every time I do a message here, it goes on the podcast, and it also goes on the website. All right, so you don't miss a thing, whether you come or you don't come. You can get it, and that's uh, 
God's grace that provided all of that. So as we earlier studied then in 2 Timothy 1.7, God doesn't give us the spirit of fear. Alright, 1 Corinthians 2.5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How we handle a normal day is how we handle our abnormal day. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, said David, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. Or Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So a major faith rest principle is eternal security. And we have on the website the doctrine of eternal security. I'm not sure if we put it on the podcast yet, but we will when I have time. But I know it is on the the website. In other words, uh, eternal security. Remember the eight approaches to eternal, eternal security? In other words, that tells you that once you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternal, eternally secure. And here are eight approaches that prove that. Scripture. Scripture. Alright, so you cannot faith rest unless, uh, or excuse me, you cannot faith rest if you doubt, if you doubt the efficacy, the effectiveness of Christ's work. So to use the faith rest drill, you must be confident of your position in the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, if we worry over sin, we become a casualty in the angelic conflict. The angels are watching you. And they're seeing what you're going to do. Uh, are you going to be a casualty or are you going to be victorious? Now you see, I would point out, sin is no longer an issue. Why is that? Because all sin was nailed on the cross. And that's why we can simply cite our sin back to God. And of course use 1 John 1, 9. I'm going to read you 1 John 1, 8 and then 1 John 1, 9 and 1, 10. Now think about it this way. 1 John 1.8 is a piece of bread. You can make it uh, whatever type of bread you want. You know, whether you want light bread or you want corn bread or, or you want a, a hot dog bun. But anyway, you got the top piece. That's eight. What does it say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Alright, now let's think about the bottom piece of bread before we get to the meat. The wiener, if you will. The beef. The pimento loaf. The bologna, the bologna, etc., etc. Let's go to 110. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So those are the two pieces. I would draw them on here, but sometimes I don't do very good at drawing. So what's in the middle? As the lady says on the commercial, where's the beef? Where's the beef? The beef is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, then notice 1 John 2, 1. So that you know that 1 John is written to believers, not unbelievers. My little children, God never calls an unbeliever His child. He calls them other things, but certainly not my little children. So we know my little children, I wrote 1 John. See, 1, 8, 1, 9, 1, 10 is followed by 2, 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Philippians 3.13 Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Romans 8.32 He that spared not his son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So we, collectively believers, therefore should cling to the following promises. Romans 8.31 What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 10.13 There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that he may be able, that you may be able to bear it. 
So he's right there with you. He's taking care of you. And then Ephesians 3.20, Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or all that we think according to the power that worketh in us. Or Jude, verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence, to the only wise God, be glory and majesty, both dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Our Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 14, 26, He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and, and for his children it will be a refuge. Or Psalm 118, 8 and 9, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to rest in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And Isaiah 30, verse 20 and 21, Although the Lord gives you... Oh, this is a good one. I remember once I had all manner of problems where I was working and uh, things weren't going right at that particular point in time. And I told the wife, you know, I'm not real sure I'm going to stick around here. I may go find another place to work. And she called me on the phone. And she says, listen to this. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. Alright, now look at Matthew 10.30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't look at me. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Ephesians 3.12 says, In Christ Jesus we have boldness and a confident access to the Father with boldness because we have believed on the name of the only born one of God. And a verse we've already seen, but it's wonderful. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares on Him, for He careth for you. Alright, the mechanics of faith rest technique are, and here we go, just a summary of the mechanics. Listen up. Use reverse process concentration. Foreknowledge. God thought about me in eternity past. Predestination. God had a plan for me in eternity past. Election. God saw my choices and chose me. Justification. God can now bless me because He is propitiated. He's been paid for and He is satisfied. Christ paid the price. Glorification. God is exalted when I am blessed. And then you reach doctrinal conclusions. If God is for me, who can be against me? God saved me when I was His enemy. How shall He not now provide for me now that I am family? Alright, in conclusion, when you are caught up in some dreadful disaster, remember that no matter how grave the danger, as a mature believer, you are perfectly safe in the Lord's hands. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 1.17 You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto him and he will hear it. Or bring it unto me, says Deuteronomy, and I will hear it. Alright, Psalm 23, verses 4, 5, and 6. And I have quoted this. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff may comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. I began this study by telling you about that. By telling you how Israel had rejected the Lord. You'll remember the water situations. Too much water. Then not enough water. But all Israel wanted to do was gripe and complain. Gripe and complain. And uh, 
that's the opposite of faith rest rather than gripe and complain. Accept and use the promises of God. And I'm going to read you Hebrews 4, 2, and 3. Now the book of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament. Remember the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews writing in old roughly 68 or so A.D. just before they all got destroyed and uh, the temple was destroyed, the city was destroyed, and the people were destroyed. But here's Hebrews 4.2. Here's why they were destroyed. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, unbelievers, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they enter into my rest, although the works were finished, from the foundation of the world. All right, now let's go to the Lord for an invitation. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I would ask that you would uh, pray that what I'm going to say will have full effect because I'm going to quote Scripture. I'm, I'm under no misconceptions up here. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to convince anybody to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you what can do the convincing and that is the Word of God itself. For the Word of God says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So right where you are, whatever you might be doing, You can tell God the Father, I am believing on God the Son and on the promise of the Word, you will be saved. You know, Christ came unto Israel, His own. He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. And here's the convincing verse. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do that right now if you've not done so. Father, thank You for the privilege of being able to come together and study Your Word. Now, certainly I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might grow in your wonderful grace and become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.